Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So 1967, Sidney Poitier, guess who's coming to dinner? I've lived that many times. <laughs> That's Roger Mooking. If you've watched him on Food Network or Cooking Channel over the years, you know that laugh. It's contagious. But what's beneath that laugh? Is it all fun and games? That clip I played off the top, it's from a two-part documentary Roger starred in that was produced by the city of Toronto called Awakenings, Behind the Curtain, where Roger and his guests explore the impact of racism on mental health. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was, of course, the 1967 Oscar-winning film where Sidney Poitier is engaged to a white woman, Roger describing that feeling of being a black man introduced to the unsuspecting white family for the first time. Let's listen to it again. Let's listen to Roger's laugh, but also let's listen to what he says after he laughs, the context he gives as it relates to his personal life. So 1967, Sidney Poitier, guess who's coming to dinner? I've lived that many times. <laughs> when I'm traveling this, the South, I think of that. I mean, it's constantly, I'm like hypervigilant, like a, like a PTSD victim, literally, right? Uh, when I'm maneuvering everywhere in many parts of, of the American South. Next on Hot Takes on a Plate, a candid conversation about race, food, empathy, and, yes, laughter, with the star of Manfire Food, Roger Mooking. This is Hot Takes on a Plate, where we explore the things that make you feel and how those feelings collide with food. I'm Rob Patron, and today I'm feeling excited, but also intrigued. I'm excited to talk to my guest today, Roger Mooking, but more than that, I really want to hear what he has to say because I think he's one of the smartest, most thoughtful food personalities out there. Roger, thanks for taking the time. And as somebody who has hosted a food TV show for myself that I did for nine years, I know very well that the medium has its limits. People, they can see a lot of you, but they they can't get to know all of you. Yeah, that's definitely true. Absolutely. You know, because it's very specific kind of framework. Um, yeah. And every broadcaster has their kind of parameters or what their sweet spot is that they're offering to their audience. So, you know, you're also fitting inside of those parameters, a fixed amount of time. You shoot so much content and, you know, inevitably something hits the floor. It's like movies shoot, I think, a hundred to one ratio or something like that of what you see. And television shoots like 50 to one ratio of what, what actually people see. So there's always stuff that hits the floor. So yeah, it's, it's your, your, they call you a personality. We're called personalities in the TV world. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and one of the things that I think your personality gets showcased so much in your work is your laugh. You have such a memorable laugh. Tell me about that laugh. I don't know. I hear that a lot from a lot of different people. Um, I don't know. You know, I just grew up in a household where we just, talked a lot, cracked a lot of jokes, and there's a lot of laughter, man. And uh, West Indian households, very rambunctious, you know, so it's just a very belly, deep, wrenching laugh. It just, just, I don't know, this is just how I laugh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very disarming, and that's, t TV loves that. TV loves engaging, they love approachable, they love likable. That's, that's what Food Network, that's what all the networks really want. 
Yeah, and I think it's just, it all comes down to earnesty too, you know, I guess I just don't hold back. So I guess that shows out in my life as well. Well, and it, sh- it shows out in your social media. I mean, that's one of the thing reasons I wanted to have you on is because social media is such a fascinating thing. I think if you use it the right way, people can truly get to know you in a way that they can't get to know you on TV because you can see it's unfiltered. You could you can say what you're feeling. Uh, TV, you can't always say what you're feeling. It's not always unfiltered. And, you know, I think you show a very thoughtful, honest side to yourself on social media, especially when it comes to issues of equality, issues of race. Uh, I'm curious, when did you first start speaking out on social media? Uh, From day one, I joined social media. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've been on, I first started with Twitter and that was probably, man, 2009, 2010 or something like that. You could see, I never actually checked that. And yeah, I just always kind of just observe, you know, I've always just been an observer of the world. You know, I've been making records forever um, since I was a teenager. And, you know, as an artist, you just kind of observe the world and speak on it. Right. So I found at that time, Twitter was just an, and you got to remember back then, Twitter was a no man's land. It was like unadulterated, (laughs) uncut, raw. It was like the Wu-Tang of personality, (laughs) no control, you know? So um it was like the wild west so we just out there so i just it gave me as an artist a great way to express myself between making records and while i was thinking about records and and doing all these shows and restaurants and stuff so um yeah you go back to my records man and you see that it's just it's always just been the way it is just people grab on to certain aspects of my person right yeah, I think a lot of people maybe who watch Man Fire Food or the other work you've done on Food Network Cooking Channel don't realize that you're actually a musician as well. You're 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 a Renaissance man, Roger. You do a lot of things. And, you know, I, I think what's really interesting, I think about this, you know, in the context of what I've done, having hosted a food TV show, but also being able to say things on social media that maybe I never said to my audience on TV. And that is that sometimes your TV audience isn't they're not necessarily the the people you'd go hang out with, you know, in your regular life, you know, and especially when you're on a, you know, like food network, for instance, it's, it's a pretty broad audience. Um, and so I'm curious, kind of like, do you ever think about your audience? Do you ever think about like, you know, there are people who watch you cause you know, they, they love the, 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 the yummy food that you show and all of that. And then they, they follow you on social media and then they see you post something about black lives matter. And it's like, you know, the, the atmosphere that we're in, you know, that it's like, you know, they don't under, some people just don't understand what that means to them in their head. That's like, you know, a terrorist organization or something. Like, I know you've experienced this at some level. Like, what is that like to know that like you're putting out work for one audience that might not be receiving the real you the way they, that you you would hope they would. Um, I mean, I don't really put, uh, uh, first of all, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong way to use social media. Secondly, I don't know if there's a hope, the hoping that someone will receive my social media voice in a certain way. Um, you know, man, I've been in the entertainment industry for 30 years now. If I concern myself with what the perception is of me out in the world, I just, I would go under a rock. But not, but not really like the perception, but it's like, you know, it, look, you're, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable place, right? Like you're putting yourself out there. 
and and it's it's hard. Like you've talked about this in, in your documentary, you know, behind the curtain. Like you you feel like sometimes you have PTSD, right? Like like we all want to be accepted and loved, you know, at the at the end of the day. And we're in this place now, this climate, you know, especially here in America. You you know, you obviously travel America a lot, but you live in Canada. But I'm not going to pretend that Canada's Canada. I'm sure has its issues too. But okay. you know, we're in this climate now where you know things that I never thought I would things that that to me and to you should not be political are political, you know, yeah, like social media doesn't frighten me. And I tell you why, because I've been to, uh, to Georgia specifically, Texas specifically, and not to cite out those places as like the, uh, the scourge of humanity or, or anything like that. I'm just giving you exact incidences that happened to me specifically in those places. Right. So social media doesn't frighten me because I've been to those places and Somebody tell me you should be swinging from a tree. Uh, somebody tell me that we got guns out here, boy. <laughs> like, like, so social media is like, is nothing. People flash me their swastika and then show me their gun on their hip. Like, like I, I've been in those situations, you know, or the, sh the sheriff shows up every day and talks to the, the people around there, like pointing like, oh, he's over there, like coming and checking on me every morning and stuff like that. Right. So I, I just... Social media does not frighten me, bro, because I've been in the real life situations where I actually have to be frightened. So uh, it's pretty comfortable, actually. I mean, you mentioned that in, in the documentary, you, you you talk about traveling yeah. the South for Man Fire Food and other shows that you've done. Like I would be traveling through the South with a mix of people. And I realized I would be in a specific location during a specific day and realized my experience in that location was completely different than everybody else's experience in that location. And I was probably the most welcome party because I'm the talent of the, of the shoot, right? right? I'm the person that these people have to, to be with, right? So it's a very interesting conundrum, but I think you just learn to cope and live with it. And uh, after this long, I don't know if I know how to deconstruct that, but um, I, I'm learning better tools to help to maneuver that. And, and you talk about like, 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 like that you need to develop tools as a black man to navigate those moments. I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, I developed those tools over years. You know, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, which is North of Montana in Canada. Right. So that's nothing new to me. I've, you know, I've been chased home from school and word just blah, 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 blah. So you, you build up those, those tolerances, uh, management tools and, um, ways to escape from a very early age. And, you know, and I was just telling somebody the other day, I could cite in my life, every decade of my life, you know, easily major, major incidents that just are mind numbing when I reflect on it now. And, you know, some of them are fairly recent, right? So, um, I don't know, we just, just living with that regularly. And, you know, there's a certain amount of self-preservation that just has to take place. And, um, I, I I guess I just don't know different. You know, I, I hope to not expect to do that in the environment where um, I'm coming in as hopefully a welcome guest, but that's just simply not always the case. And the funny thing is sometimes they're, they welcome you, but on the other side, there's like, I don't really want them here. <laughs> so it's, it's both. It's both. Yeah. So that's the mind. That's the one that boggles the mind, you know? 
Well, and I, I just wonder because, you know, you're, you're on social media. Clearly, you're, 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 you're doing this. You, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but most people, when they're putting things out on social media, it's to either express a feeling or to try to convince somebody of something, right? Like, like for instance, if I'm putting work out there, you know, um, you know, I've done stories on immigrants. I've done all different types of stories. And, you know, I do those because I want people to see another, maybe see another side of something. You know, I don't want to just put out work that's going in an echo chamber. Like, I don't want to just talk to people who agree with me because that doesn't promote change. That doesn't get somebody to see another perspective. But that's, but isn't that like, the, this is where I struggle because it's like, this is the danger. It's like people are kind of, they have their their rabbit ears up now. And so when they hear certain words or they, whatever, it's like, they just, they just turn it off. They don't, they don't want to hear what's being said. You know, I see you smiling. So it's like, this is the game. It's like, we want to express ourselves and hopefully affect positive change. But it's like, how, how do you, how do you weave that? Like, how do you do that? You know, my goal is really just to tell the breadth of the story, right? So whereas you may look at certain shows that I'm on and you see one aspect of the story. You see us and we're eating. And believe me, I've met a lot of amazing, friendly people from every social background, every race, shooting shows over a dozen years. Amazing, beautiful people that just, you just shock me sometimes. Like, wow, I wasn't expecting that, but this person got the heart of gold, right? Right? Okay, that's the caveat. Now, the reality is I just, I just never know. So I tell the, the goal is to tell the breadth of information. So you see those things, you go, oh, they're having fun. They're eating, they're hanging out in the kitchen, they're over the fire, they're cracking jokes. This guy's laughing. It must've been great. Right. But then you don't see like when I'm uh, at the laundromat in between, cause all my clothes smell smoky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, the smell of barbecue. <laughs> yeah. And some crazy thing happens. Just me pulling up to the laundromat. Like, you know what I mean? Um, or other, otherwise moving city to city and just, just driving by plantations and just like crazy scenarios out there. So my goal is to really tell the breath. So you see all the good, but you know, there's other aspects of the day-to-day living that just, just aren't so good. So I think it's up to me not to try and convince somebody otherwise or all that stuff, but it's just to tell the full story. And I think that's why we went called it behind the curtains and we, tell the full story that that is essentially the goal and also like as a person of color whether I, I like it or not in the public eye um the public perceives that i represent the entire community right and that's a conundrum that a lot of uh athletes face a lot of public figures face when they reach a certain level of notoriety you know people come to them to represent the entire community right so there's a certain amount of responsibility where i feel as though i have to have expressive voice for people who just don't have that platform and that voice to express those things because they're living this day to day just like i am but they can't disseminate it to millions of people no and that's you just hit on something that i think is one of our biggest communicative problems in general in the world right now, which is that we as as, as, as a global society, we, we do this thing where we make out different groups to just be monolithic, like like black people, monolithic all this way, you know, or we do it with countries. We do it with, you know, whatever we do it with rural America that, oh, you live there. You must be this like that's just not that's not a fair assumption to make of anyone. And once we go into situations with those assumptions, 
forget it. Yeah, and like I said, I go into every situation. Like we vet locations before we go in between the broadcaster, production, and me. We're vetting because oh, yeah, it's a lot of work. Personal safety at, at risk as well, right? And that's been shown. So um we vet all those as best as we can, but you never really know until you land there. But I go in with an open heart. I go in with an open mind, thinking, okay, I'm in this back part of wherever. But, yo, I've met some amazing people in those back parts or wherever. So I go in, like, expecting I'm going to get amazing people. That, that, that's how I go in. And I go in with that heart. And then I walk, I say, oh, no Sambo on the wall. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> well, I will say this this moment, though, is, like, I feel like the last year, is it's been really eye-opening to me because, you know, I like I said, like, I had, I had a TV show here in New York for nine years, a food TV show. And so I'd go into restaurants all the time. And look, when I'm going in with cameras and everything, I'm everybody's best friend. You know, like, like everybody wants me there. They're happy to have me there. They're excited. I make friends with everybody. It's a lot of fun. But then on social media, I, I learned this year, like I post just a couple things that are, I don't think are quote unquote political. I think they're just human. And I watch my followers go boom, 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 boom. And I see, and it's like, and I see people that I thought I was friends with just piecing out, you know, like and it's just, and it's amazing to me because it's like, oh, like, like I, I did not know that. You know, like, like, it's just so, you know, like I consider myself, you know, for lack of a better term to be, you know, quote unquote woke when it comes to race and all of that. But like, I've learned a lot about myself in the last year and where my blind spots are. I mean, I think one of the biggest ones, and I think this is where a lot of, and again, I don't want to categorize all white people, but I think that, that I think a lot of people struggle is that the, uh, the word intention. You know, like we, we, we center these things around ourselves. We all do this in general. We center everything around ourselves. Right. But like, uh, doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be. No, but it's like the idea that like, you know, intention, like, well, so-and-so did this, but I don't think their intention was bad. And, and it doesn't really matter what the intention was. Like if it hits somebody else, there's a certain value to intention. I think, I think, I think there is a value to intention because intention is where you can find a foothold. <laughs> right. Right. That's true. So sometimes people like they didn't do what was not the most compassionate thing. But if there's a nugget of intention of goodwill or an intent of empathy, there's a foothold there. And I'm not trying to say, yo, everybody should you know, vote for Joe Biden or everybody should vote for Trump. Or, it's not I don't look at this like politics. You know, people come to me, I say stuff on on socials. They're like, oh, so you're a whatever, whatever part of the spectrum they perceive me. Right. I'm like, if you look at what I said, actually, it's not politically charged. Your perception of it said it was politically charged. My statement was actually a humanitarian statement. <laughs> right. No, that's exactly. <laughs> it was a statement on intention, compassion, empathy. Your perception phrased it this this way or that way. That's not what I that's actually not what I said. And whether follower count goes up or down, sideways, left, bro. I just, I, I don't care. <laughs> you gotta you gotta be you gotta be you. And you know, you were talking earlier about when you tell a story, it sounded to me like you were saying you're trying to hit the heart less than the head, like with a lot of this, like you're trying to show the feelings behind a moment. And I think that's really important. But I think that's also sort of the double edged sword of all of this is that when we're having conversations about race, 
I think there are a lot of, you know, well-intentioned people who they, 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 there's a lot of guilt around all of this with them because we have kind of boxed ourselves into a corner with race where everything is for lack of a better term, black or white, it's either good or bad. It's like, you know, we throw around the word racist where it's like, you're either not a racist or you're a racist when there's a lot of shades of gray when we're talking about race and you can be a person who doesn't view yourself as being racist, but do something that falls on a spectrum. But the, the amount of guilt with owning that moment is too much. It's just too much. And people shut down and then they retreat to their corners. And then there we go. And that's where an open mind comes in, right? It's like, I'll tell you a secret, my brother. <clears throat> I'm a member of Homo sapiens sapien. That's, that's where I'm at, right? But that does not negate the fact that when I walk out into the world with my mindset of being Homo sapiens sapien, that if I get stopped by the police, that there's a chance I might get killed. That if I get try and go for a job, that they just they might not give me that job on just by submitting my resume with the name Mooking statistically means I'm 70% less likely to even be considered for the job. <laughs> right? And what you're saying is totally truthful. But also there are a lot of people who consider themselves not to be racist who don't want to hear that because it because no, they, they're putting themselves in that that hiring person's shoes and saying, well, I would never do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like well, they, to they, them, they it's never, not a reality. That's the that's the problem. It's not a reality. It's not a reality. And I mean, this is where empathy comes in. I'll tell you, you know, I always use the example of someone in a wheelchair. I've sat in a wheelchair before. I've been to the hospital, had a jacked up leg. I had to sit in a wheelchair. I had to roll around, right? Okay. So if somebody asked me um, my perception about a specific situation about somebody in a wheelchair, my ego will say, well, I know what it's like to be in a wheelchair. I've been in a wheelchair, right? But the day-to-day -day realities are, of being in a wheelchair are just very, very different. Yes. So I can't speak for a person in a wheelchair to tell them, Oh, their uh, their nervous system fires differently because this part is seated all the time, and so they have X amount of uh, less function in their arm, even though they're 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 paralyzed from the waist down, for instance. Or there's tingling that they get because of this, or chest pains because of this, or their muscles uh, across their chest and back are are so much bigger, which causes other stress on the body just from pushing the wheelchair. And I can't tell you what that's like day to day. I can imagine and I can be empathetic towards what that's like. And that doesn't mean I don't want to try and help somebody in that position to try and understand their position. But unless you feel it's very hard to give the expansive breath of an experience, that's just the fact of the matter, right? So maybe I need to spend more time with people who are in wheelchairs to understand that, to listen to them and to, to give a voice to that. That's where the open-mindedness comes in. Yes. And that's where you say, I'm so not much. racist, but, 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 well, yo, look around you. If you don't have half of your friends are not people who don't look like you, maybe you need to surround yourself with half of your friends to look like people who don't look like you. <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, I've lived both in the South and in the North. And, you know, I think we all have this sort of vision of the, the South is the quote unquote racist place and the North is this liberal utopia. But the truth of the matter, as somebody who's lived in both places, is they both have race issues, but very differently. You know, the South, they're just going to often it's good. They're going to wear it like you'll know right away. 
But also, I feel like in some ways it's less segregated in the South. You know, when I lived in the South, I had a lot more black friends than I do now. And it's funny because like population density is, is different though too, right? So it depends where you were living too. In the yeah, South. but it's also interesting because like here, like for instance, like here, you know, in Brooklyn, it's like, you know, it's a melting pot. But and it's like you could be, you know, have a, a, a four million dollar house literally facing a housing project like like across the street. But even though the proximity is there, it's it's segregated. It is completely segregated. Like and like you see it in neighborhoods like with gentrification where like, you know, like the people who may now have their housing projects surrounded by four million dollar homes can't go grocery shopping in that neighborhood because they don't have a place to go. Like, it's just so, so it's crazy. It's like everybody, you know, if you walk around my neighborhood, you'll see Black Lives Matter signs in every window. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like not the most diverse place. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, it's just, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's just, it's just different. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the cosmopolitan, like the New York area, it's just the cost of living is so expensive. Everybody's just hustling with their head down to get enough food to, to scrape together and pay rent, right? So they, although they live in this diverse environment within their, you know, top, topographical, rate, topographical radius, right, um, or geographical radius, their head is down and they just go on the job, going to the grocery, coming home and just, it's that bubble, right? So Oh, it's such a bubble. The way I would describe it, it's like living in New York is kind of like when you're in high school and there's cliques and there's lunch tables. Yeah, Because yeah. it's not, it's not as simple as segregated by race. It's like people self-segregate by like interests, by career. Like you, like literally you will find neighborhoods where like everybody has the same job in that neighborhood. Like I'm, I, I, I swear to you. Whereas I like population density, right? Yeah. So the more density of a population, the more subdivision you will see. So I'm curious with, you know, that's proven by anthropology, right? Yes. I'm curious with, with, with you expressing yourself on social media, if you've ever heard anything feedback from like food network or cooking channel. Uh, they've not come to me directly and said anything. I haven't, no, I'm not aware of that. They've, they actually sent me a card during the middle of Black Lives Matter saying, yo, we hear your voice, speak your voice. That's you great. Know? That's great. Cause like, I know, like, I know, you know, there have been other outlets that have, you know, tried to squash conversation or said, we're not going to get involved. Um, no, that's great to hear. Uh, what do you think about other personalities, you know, food network, food world personalities who maybe don't express themselves? Uh, like you do on social media, like do you do? You, are, is there an expectation to speak up? It, what Where are your thoughts there? My expectation is I can control my person. <laughs> that's, that's my expectation. I don't know where anybody is at. I don't know their full breadth of experience. I don't know what they're motivated by. I don't know a lot about a lot of people. That's just a fact. You know, I meet a lot of my cohorts in this industry in passing. And, you know, we have colloquial relationship. We may kick it, we may text and blah, 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 all this stuff. And they see me post stuff and they may text me, you know. Um, but I, I can't speak to what other people's motivations are, man. I can only control what's in my circumference. Uh, and try and influence those around me to have more compassion and empathy to think of themselves, think of the world beyond their person, right? Um, and I think that that's by example. I, you know, I've been saying a lot of that, that, and thinking a lot for a long time, you know, individualism is the scourge of our society, 
you know. Um, there's an African principle of Ubuntu. Are you familiar with Ubuntu? No. Ubuntu is a concept, and this is maybe you're from more familiar. A lot of communities around the world will say the community raises the child, right? And you'll find that in Eastern European blocks. You'll find that in the Caribbean. You'll find that in Africa. You'll find that in, in South America. Um, but in North America, particularly, we've kind of shunned this notion of Ubuntu or the community raising the child. It's sort of every person for themselves. Uh, take care of you and yours exclusively at the expense of everybody else, right? And that's how the, the quote-unquote democratic capitalist society has been built and structured. And we're seeing that during COVID. And we're seeing that during COVID. We're seeing that how that plays out in the realm of this whole uh, GameStop quote-unquote scandal, how that plays out, you know? So at the end of the day, it's just a microcosm or, or a larger expanse of just individualism, right? And I think just individualism is just the scourge of our of our culture, man. Um, I think that if we look beyond our person and consider our community, the breadth of that community, extend what that community is, and create an ecosystem that's beneficial to everybody around us, everybody can benefit, right? And I think everybody can be raised up in that type of um in that type of environment in a positive way. Not to say that that also does not have its own challenges, you know? Um, but I think that for better or for worse, um, I would like to be aware that every action that I take impacts everybody else around us because everybody on the planet is connected. I'm telling you, go, go try and make a vaccine without some ingredients from this part of the world, this part of the world, this part of the world, a needle coming from here, plastic coming from there. It just, we are just connected Absolutely. on a physical level, but also like a spiritual and, and conceptual level. Right. You know, you, you focus a lot on your, your, your TV shows, especially with man, fire foot, man, fire food on barbecue, you know, and barbecue, it's one of those foods that, you know, historically, not just in America, but globally, has been centered around the black community. Yet here in America, I feel like sort of when you think about the faces of barbecue, the the majority of them are are white. What, what are your thoughts on that? I actually just did a talk about it. We just launched the new series of Awakenings called The Live from the Barbecue. And I talked specifically to Matt Horn, who's a new upcoming legend, basically out of Oakland area. And I talked to the OG, um, Rodney Scott, who was the first black barbecue person, which is crazy. James Beard Award winner, Beard Award. Rodney like, Scott. You think how crazy that that is, right? So if you look into the history of barbecue, you'll find some just very political things have happened over the course of history with barbecue um, in America and throughout the world. But if we're talking specifically about America, uh, there's just a, just a deep breath of information there. Um, and, you know, we've just done the same thing we've done to a lot of a lot of creator cultures, just kind of adopted it. Uh, society has kind of adopted it and taken it over and, and re renamed it and rewritten it. Right. So we're just trying I mean, to do our part to tell the full breadth of the story. Well, that's the thing. Like, like right now in the food world, we're having a lot of conversations about cultural appropriation and where do you draw the line? And it's, it's tricky because on one hand, 
you know, you, you have to, you know, like the culture that created something should profit off of it, right? On on the flip side, you know, the beauty of food is that it can travel and that, you know, we see this with everything, with, with foodways all across the world where, where one country influences another country's cuisine, it becomes something else and that's beautiful as well. To me personally, I think it comes down to do you have a clue? Like, are you educated on what you're doing or are you just doing it to make a buck? Right? Like, I think there are people who get into this, who they did their homework and, and they give credit where credit's due. And then there are people who just, who just kind of rip it off. And like, where do you draw the line? Right? Like I look at like, like somebody like, like here, I'm in Brooklyn, hometown barbecue has Jamaican jerk ribs. You've had them on man fire. Well, that's my brother right there. Bill Durney. Bill Durney. You know, he's a white guy, but he grew up in Brooklyn surrounded by that. That's, that's what he grew up eating. That's That's real to him. Earnestly. Yo, I kicked it with him about that for hours. Like what did you learn for hours about shit like that? Yeah. So what did you learn? I learned that he grew up in, in that environment. That was his world. That was his planet. He was surrounded by White people, black people, Hispanic people, West Indians, Africans, and that's what seeped into his pores, right? But he also does like the traditional Texas thing. He also does, so he speaks to the breath, and you know, he's not only servicing that community, he's also hiring that community. He's also telling that story. He's acknowledging and telling those stories, right? So I look at like my brother, like Bill, Bill Durney. That man is just, it's just pure love. So this is where we come back to intention, right? <laughs> he's, ampl- he's amplifying the right things you're saying. I believe so, right? And I think that um, if you get in the circle of, of the, 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 the barbecue family, you'll see that the family embraces him from the Sam Joneses to the Rodney Scotts to me to, I won't speak for anybody else, but I've been in those environments where we're all just around. And because he's just earnestly doing that. He's earnestly coming from an honest place and he's telling those stories from a from an earnest place through food and he's empowering and, and doing it in the community where that was born for him and that it exists today. So, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's not an easy question and it's there's no one solid firm answer, but, you know, right now we speak in a version of English it's a mixture of several romantic languages, several colloquial interjections, and several different mm, slangs, right? So the, the language that we speak now is a bastardization of many different cultures. So what, do you just speak the Queen's English? No, that's not right. Do we go back to Latin? Well, that also has its things. Do we go back to... Um, uh, West Africa. Well, that seems like disingenuous from where we are in time and space now in North America. So, so it all is just a microcosm. That's why I right. say we are all connected, my brother. Yeah. We are connected. I, I, like, there's like, attention and goodwill and a heart, soul, compassion, empathy. That's okay. <laughs> no, to me, it's like, you know, you don't, you can't lose history while creating new things. So like, think about like, you know, like last night I had quote unquote gringo tacos for dinner, crunchy shell, you know, ground meat, lettuce, you know, like not anything that you would find in Mexico and it's, and it's fine and it's delicious. But to me, if people in America think that is a taco, like that becomes the definition, that's where it gets dangerous because 
you, you don't want to erase the hit, the amazing history that came before that, that invention, right? Like that's where I feel like the line is drawn. Like you have to, you know, you can riff on barbecue and do a really amazing, delicious things, but you also, people can't lose sight of where the roots of that barbecue came from. Yeah. You know, you respect the, respect the architects, what we say in hip hop, right? Respect the architects, right? <laughs> so there is no uh, Kendrick Lamar without Rakim and Kendrick Lamar will tell you very clearly, yo, there's no me without him. And there's no Rakim without uh, listening to jazz. You know, he says very clearly, I listen to, um, who is it he say he used to listen to? Uh, I forget now. But he listens to jazz saxophone and be like, oh, I want to I want to take that rhythm. Right. And there's no that without African African music and music from the south and New Orleans. And there's no that without the motherland. So it's it's all cumulative. Right. So we have to just kind of respect the lineage, you know, and, and the storytelling. You know, a lot of a lot of cultures have solely tradition of oral storytelling, like indigenous cultures, they tell their stories orally. And so uh, over the years where they've been decimated by the settlers and the colonists, those stories just disappear. But now we're trying to unearth those stories and bring them back. Those stories are very important to the formation of the West. And the West is very important to the formation of cosmopolitan um, cities like Los Angeles, New Mexico, Texas in general, um, and then moving up through the through the north and the east, right? You know, we Speaking talked about the, America specifically for yeah, you. absolutely. We, we talked at the beginning um, about your laugh. Uh, it's one of the things that I think people okay. that you're it's your calling card in a lot of ways because it's just so warm and engaging, and has such a great backstory. Talking about your family. I wonder then when I think about some of the other stories you told me during this conversation about things you've been through that I could never even relate to because I I just have never experienced that. I've been, you know, fortunate because of the color of my skin. I've never had to go through that. How much of that laugh, you know, is is something to sort of it's like a defense mechanism in a way. It's a way to to power on. It's a way to like get by. It's almost like is it is it like sometimes like to laugh to keep from crying? You know, I think about, I don't really think about that, but what I do consider is just earnesty, right? So if something's funny, I'm just going to laugh. Something is horrible. Sometimes all you could do is just laugh <laughs> because it just is, it's just is so mountainous or so threatening or so soul crushing that the, you can look at any situation in, in, in a few different ways, right? I'm in a bad situation. I can either look at it negatively and go deeper into that bad situation, or I can find some positive light to try and scramble out of it, right? And perhaps maybe sometimes that's what it is. It's just I'm looking for that positive, and the only thing that's positive possibly is just shit. <laughs> I can only laugh about this because every other thing, I, just, I might as well just commit suicide. Like, what is the point? My thanks to Roger Mooking for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat. If you want to watch his Awakenings Behind the Curtain videos, which I suggest you do, they're great, you can find links to them in this podcast's description. If you like what you heard today and this is your first time listening to Hot Takes on a Plate, make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. 
I discuss food from all angles, from how it intersects with current events to fun food takes on your favorite eats. If you like what you just heard, please rate the show as well. Five stars, of course. And drop me a note on social media at Rob Patron TV. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at BLEAV.com. Until next time, I'm Rob Patron. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.